Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. I want to invite MJ DeMint to come up. Uh, She talked to me last Sunday about a word that she has for the church for this year. And I want to give her an opportunity to share that. So thank you, MJ. This is MJ Demand, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, this past year, for all of us, has been really rough. And I was at work, and I was just like, I am going to be so glad when 2020 is over. <laughs> but then the Lord spoke to me, and he said, MJ... I want you to remember 2020. I want you to remember the things that I've done for you. Amen. And in that, he gave me um, a verse that I'd like to read to you. It's Joshua 4, 21 through 24. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time, in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you, will sh- then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry land, for the Lord God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you, before you and until you crossed. Just as the Lord had done to the Red Sea which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Mm. And, you know, we have all been through something this year. Yeah, amen. And I really believe the Lord saying, I want you to write down what I've done for you. Amen. I want you to share with your children mm. and your children's children what the Lord has done for you. Amen. Because I believe God's saying to us, you need to remember this because you are coming to a Red Sea moment Amen. where you are going to cross <laughs> yeah. and you are going to have the glory of God coming with you and the people that you are going to influence mm. are going to see the hand of God in it. Mm. And he wants you to be prepared to take that new territory, which he is getting ready to give us. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you, MJ. Wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. Yeah, well, let's just pray. Father, thank you for that good word from MJ and for for your word to us, Lord that we're coming to that Red Sea, that Jordan River moment where we're going to cross into something new, Lord. And I love the fact that she read the Joshua part because, Lord, I believe it's a promised land. Like it's a land of promise, something that you've been promising us. And, Lord, my sermon today, <clears throat> today, uh, the Vision Sunday next week, and, and this series that we're about to embark on is all about that. And, God, thank you for what you're saying to us. Thank you that you are are telling us, Lord, that you're, you're about to take us into new territory, Lord. And it's a good land. It's a land of flowing with milk and honey. And, and God, as a church, Lord, you've been so good to us this year. You really have, Lord. God, we finished the year, uh, I mean, 100% better off financially than we were a year ago. <clears throat> Lord, um, we, we, uh, we, we just can't thank you enough for the way that you provided for us. And you brought new people like MJ into our midst, Lord, and settled them here in our church. And we're so thankful, Lord. And God, I want to pray for the people this morning that either have been exposed to COVID or have COVID, uh, people from our church. And I just want to thank you for the way that, that these folks have found out about their, either their exposure or, or their positive testing when they were away from the church and, and hadn't exposed anyone, Lord. That's just the way you protected us this year, Lord. And we continue to meet. 
And I, I keep hearing of churches that are having to close because their, their pastors and their staff have, have COVID, Lord. That hasn't hit us. And God, just pray for your protection. And Lord, now as I, as I talk about um, walking in your spirit, being led by your spirit, Lord, this morning, and, and living lives worthy of you and your will, I just pray for your powerful anointing upon me. And, uh, and Lord, just open our hearts and our minds and our ears to everything that you want to speak to us now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. I, uh, I just wanted to say before I start, I, I started to wear a tie this morning, um, but it didn't really seem to, to match my, uh, my outfit very well, so I guess I, I'll not do that. But if you can't see it, it's an Ohio State tie. And uh, yeah. Oh, I oh, yeah, yeah, okay. That is very unspiritual, yeah. Last week, our dear friend Dennis Kozlov, who does, has been exposed to COVID, his daughter found out like Tuesday that she uh, tested positive for COVID, so he's been exposed, and uh, he and Marina, so uh, we're just praying that he'll test negative and he'll be okay to come back next week. I, want, I certainly want him here for Vision Sunday, but last week he wrapped up our series on vital distinctions, and one of the things that <clears throat> he was talking about last year, or last week, and last year, how about that? Last year and last week. Uh, were the two judgments and the difference between the white throne judgment where uh, everyone is judged and only those whose names are written in the book of life will, will you know, not be cast in the lake of fire. But he talks about the believer's judgment. And one of the things that we, we gathered from that sermon was that our lives as Christians here in this world count for something. Or they should count for something. They Life matters. The way we live our lives matters. We, we, you know, we, we, our salvation does not depend on how well we walk out this discipleship. <laughs> we, we're going to go to heaven if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we believe on him and we've asked him into our hearts. Uh, we are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. I mean, it's just over and over again. And the gospel is all about the, the beginning of the gospel you know, uh, that, that Paul talks about in Romans. What Martin Luther discovered was that it's by faith alone that we're saved. Not of works that no man should boast, but our lives and the way we live our lives in this world matters. In the movie Gladiator, the protagonist, the hero of the movie, was a man named Maximus. He was a general in the Roman army and, of course, became uh, seen as a traitor, uh, unfairly accused and pursued and so forth. But as he's le- at the beginning of that movie, as he's leading his part of the troops into battle, in order to encourage them, he says to them this, And I'm paraphrasing, I don't know if I'm getting exactly right, but he says this. Men, what you do in this life echoes through eternity. I really believe that with all my heart. What we do in this life echoes through eternity. And I don't want my life to be an empty, hollow echo. Man, I want people coming up to me eons from now saying, Neil, because you lived, I'm here. And I want, him, I want you to hear the same thing. I want people to come up to you and say, because of your life, because of your witness, because what you said, what you did, I am here and not somewhere else. I'm convinced, I'm, I'm convinced that our sins are blotted out by Jesus, but I truly believe that we will give an account for how we've lived our lives. And so um, I want to... Basically, so guys, here it is. As a pastor, as your pastor, as a pastoral leader, uh, James says that in, in the book of James that, that I am going to uh, have to give an account for the way I've lived my life and the way I've led. I'm going to incur a stricter judgment. And that gave me pause as I began to consider going into the ministry and, and you know, uh, uh, responding to the call into ministry because who wants a stricter judgment, <laughs> you know? But, guys, I take this very, very seriously, and I want you to know that. 
And I want you to know that I want to lead you into a life that matters, into a life that's faithful, into a life. Uh, I, I just I want us to go together as a church, and I want each one of you to experience the reality of the Holy Spirit leading you in God's will and bearing fruit for the kingdom. Man, that's that's what you know. At the end of the day, that's really what matters. A couple months ago, my old mentor, uh, the, the pastor that was at the church when I got here, the one who hired me and then forsook me eight years later to go to the mission field, Phil Shank, recommended his second book to me in, in my relationship with Phil. I've known Phil 33 years. He's only recommended two books. The first year, he recommended uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He said it was the best book he ever read, and uh, I immediately got that book. But he just recommended a couple of months ago this book called Spirit Walk. And uh, second time he's ever recommended a book, I'm definitely reading this book. So um, I, I got it, and I started reading it, and it was the most convicting book I've read in a long time. Just convicted me to my socks, man. And uh, in this book, uh, the, the author, Steve Smith, simply makes the case that if we want to live a life of effectiveness in God's kingdom... We need to do four things, and now you can refer to your, your little handout that I gave you. Um, yeah, here it is. Uh, on the back here, there's an acronym uh, called SWAP, okay? And uh, he says there's four things that we need to do to live a fruitful life for the Lord. And they're listed there in that, in that, that first full paragraph. Surrender to His will and every word. Wait on God in prayer, avoid sin, let God root out all unrighteousness, and pursue the promptings of the Spirit. Now, the man who wrote this book uh, has the credentials to make that kind of statement. He was the leader, president, CEO, whatever, of a missions organization, and he spent his life Reaching unreached people groups, planting churches, and doing discipleship with people that didn't know Jesus and people groups that never heard the gospel. And he spent his life doing that. And he said that he saw, and he, he didn't come from a charismatic background, a Pentecostal background, but he said, as a Baptist, I saw Acts-type revivals, Acts-type movements over and over and over again where miracles were happening and, and revival was breaking out, and, and the Spirit of God was moving in power. And so the, if you'll notice on, on the, uh, the book, the cover page, the subtitle here, The Extraordinary Power of Acts, and that was referring to the book of Acts, The Extraordinary Power of Acts for Ordinary People. In other words, ordinary people can experience the book of Acts-type lives and encounters with God. If we will swap our lives for his life, if we will do the swap. So here we go. Surrendering completely and unconditionally to the Lord. That is the, that's the S. As Dennis and I uh, uh, are, are preparing to, to preach through this Radical Growth series, guys, we're laying... This morning, I'm laying a foundation for that. I'm laying a foundation. This is so important to understand. But the first thing we need to do is surrender our lives to the Lord. Now, let me explain this. What we're doing is we're allowing our husband. See, see, Jesus is the husband. We're the bride. He's the groom. We're the bride. We're allowing our husband to take the lead in this marriage. Does that make sense? As the wife of the, of, of the bridegroom, we're submitting ourselves to his headship. As we do the dance with Jesus, we're allowing Jesus to lead us in the dance. You know, when you're dancing, somebody's got to lead, somebody's got to follow. You both can't lead. Or you're, you'll end up just, it's a train wreck, right? Jesus wants to lead us in the dance. And here's why. He lived the perfect human life. He lived the way human beings are supposed to live. And here's what he said. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say 
what I hear the father saying. He lived a life of surrender to his father. And now he asks us to live a life of surrender to him. A surrender is a total giving over of control of our lives to God for his will and his purposes. Jesus lived that way with his father. We want to live that way with Jesus. If we don't, then we get in his way. We step on his toes. We trip. We fall. We, 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 we don't have a good experience. And our lives end up very, very meaningless and fruitless. Here's a vital distinction. Remember we talked about law versus grace and, and salvation versus discipleship. Here's a distinction. Surrender is not the same as commitment. Think about that for a second. And commitment is certainly not the same thing as surrender. When a person makes a commitment to a thing or a person, who's in control? The person making the commitment, right? When a person surrenders to another person, who's in control? The person you surrender to, right? I mean, if someone holds a gun to you and says, you know, stick them up, and you put your hands up, who's got control there? The person with a gun. Thankfully, that's not the kind of surrender we're talking about. We're talking about a surrender of our lives to someone who is trustworthy, who is good, who is, who is the epitome of love and goodness, who is love and goodness, and who only wants what's best for us. But Dr. Dr. Adrian Rogers, a great Baptist pastor, had a huge church in Texas, was president of the Southern Baptist Convention for many years, great man of God, great preacher, teacher. My, my parents listened to him every Sunday night for decades. Dr. Rogers um, was talking to Romanian pastor Joseph's son, who lived under communist oppression for many, many years. And Dr. Rogers asked Dr. Joseph, or, or Pastor Joseph, he said, what, what, what's your impression of American Christianity? What's your impression of American Christianity? He says, Americans' key word in Christianity is commitment. He said, when you make a commitment, you're still in control. You're in control of how much you give, how much you pray, whether or not you attend church and how often... But surrender is an unconditional loss of any and all control to the Lordship of Christ. And he says, Americans like to be in control. But we are called to unconditional surrender, to be slaves, bondservants, as Paul put it, to the Lordship of Christ. And uh, Steve Smith writes this, Commitment can be self-centered, cause-centered, Fundamentally about me, how strongly I'm devoted to someone or something. On the other hand, surrender is all about the other person. I relinquish my rights and give up all control to someone or something else. Now, this is the indictment here, guys. And I'm reading this about the American church, not about this church. But I just want to read this because this is super convicting to me. Our churches are filled with nominally committed churchgoers who have prayed the prayer of salvation, which is good, and showed up at services occasionally. Scattered among them are a few committed Christians who show up regularly, are earnest in their faith, and do most of the work. It's said that 20% of the people in our churches do 80% of the work and vice versa. How many surrendered disciples do we have, disciples sold out to Jesus and his agenda for their lives? Commitment is not a bad thing, except when it gets in the way of surrender. <laughs> Commitment's not a bad thing, except when it gets in the way of surrender. And Smith points this out. He says, you know, when I stood at the altar and I said before the pastor, and, the, and, the, and the, the body of Christ to my wife, I do. I do. I commit myself to you for the rest of my life. He said, after the honeymoon, 
my I do had to become I will. Honey, will you? I will. Honey, will you? Yes, dear, I will. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, it goes from a commitment of I'm committing my, the rest of my life to you to a day in and day out, dying to self and surrender to say, yes, dear, I will. Honey, will you take out the trash? Yes, dear, I will. Honey, will you wash the dishes? Yes, dear, I will. Honey, will you keep the kids for me while I run to the store? Yes, dear, I will. I mean, guys, unless in a good marriage, if it's, if it's reasonable, if it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, dangerous, or, or anything like that, we should always be willing to say yes to our wives and our husbands. We're in a covenant. And, and we really need to understand how to die to self and surrender to what God, the, the relationship God has put us in. And so that's what we do with the Lord. As, as, as the bride of Christ, we say, when he says, will you do this? Yes, Lord, I will. Will you do that? Yes, Lord, I will. In fact, um, I've heard it said that to say no, Lord, when he's asked you to do something is an oxymoron. You can't say no and Lord at the same time. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? If you say no, he's not your Lord. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? He says, why, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I, it's convicting to me. It's convicting to me. The W so that's the S, surrender. The W, and I, I listen, guys, I spent a long time on that um, because I think surrender is extremely hard for us Americans with our Bill of Rights and our rights and our rights and our rights and our rights, and we have rights and don't violate my rights and, and you know, I'll choose and freedom of this and freedom of that, and, you know, we're seeing some of that challenged and even taken away right now. But at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's, it's, a, it's, a benign, it's, a, it's a benign dictatorship. It's a, it's a, I say dictatorship. It's a king, a sovereign king. Yes, Lord. Will you? Yes, Lord. W is for waiting on God, waiting on God in prayer. So surrender is when you take that blank sheet of paper and you sign your name at the bottom and you hand it to the Lord and say, whatever you fill in, I will do. Waiting on the Lord is when you find out what he's going to write on that paper. Does that make sense? You guys, waiting on the Lord, waiting, uh, waiting on the Lord, waiting in his presence, waiting in the quiet place, waiting in our quiet time, Spending time with him, praying and listening. Guys, we need to spend as much time listening as we do speaking to him. We come in sometimes with our grocery list and we rattle it off and we go about our day. And I remember, as a matter of fact, I saw a videotape that we were watching over Christmas of me illustrating how this works. And I had a, I was really young and handsome at that point. But anyway, just kidding about the handsome part. But anyway, I was on a telephone and I was having a conversation supposedly with my wife. I brought a, you know, like a little toy phone up. And I was like, hello, Dev, how are you? I hope your day's going well. I hope you're doing fine. Would you please get this, at that at the grocery store? Thanks, bye. And I hung up. I said, that's not a conversation. And that's, that's not the kind of conversations we need to have with the Lord. We need to spend time listening to his voice. We need to learn his voice. We need to hear his voice. We need to know what he's speaking to us. Because it's super important. And did you know that God is always speaking? He's always communicating. We just got to be dialed into the right channel. We need to be listening for his voice. We need to be waiting on him. Remember the story of Martha and Mary? Martha's super busy, got a lot of stuff done. She was making sandwiches Jesus never ordered, you know. Mary's sitting at his feet listening because she knows at the end of that conversation what Jesus has in mind for her. That's how we need to be responding to the Lord, sitting at his feet, waiting on him, listening to him. Super important. I was, Dennis, uh, I have a sermon prep team, and Dennis, Dennis was not able to be here, so I, I called him and put him on speaker, and I preached. And, and he said, I just want to point out a couple of things. He's like, 
He's like, I, lately, I've been saying to the Lord, is there anything you want to tell me? Just as I go about my day, and is there anything you want to show me? Is there anything you want to tell me? Is there anything you want to show me? He's like, <clears throat> as I get in the car and I'm driving off to, to work, Lord, when I get to work, is there anything, you know, or as I'm driving to work, is there any, anything you want to tell me? When I get to work, Lord, and, and I start my day or my night, in his case, because he works second shift, is there anything you want to show me? That's, I think that's a really good approach as we go about our lives. Well, another mentor of mine, um, Rick Evans, who, um, well, anyway, I won't go into it. He's a, he's a vineyard pastor from, he planted a vineyard in, in uh, Cleveland, and now he has a ministry called Orphan Heart Ministry. Some of you have met him. Rick's always said, God always tells his secrets to his friends. And so, guys, get to the quiet places. Get to the quiet places and, and listen to the Lord. Be his friend because he will tell you his secrets as you pursue friendship with him. I love that. I love that. MJ was just sharing a secret that the Lord spoke to her in her quiet place. That's what I'm talking about. And so Smith says, waiting in prayer allows time for God to work deeply in your heart to root out any thinking, speaking, and acting that does not align with him and his purposes in and for your life. When you allow God the time for a deep work within you, then you stick to the things that he gives you to do. Whatever he has written on the blank paper is what you live out, no matter what. No matter what. So if we're going to surrender to him, we need to know what we're surrendering to and for. We need to listen. We need to wait on him and listen. If you, if you listen, he will speak. I... <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to save that thought. The A stands for avoid sin and allow God to root out anything in your life that's unrighteous. I just want to say this. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you, but the Holy Spirit will only fill a clean vessel. Okay? And, and when we, I want to say quickly, as, as I go into this whole thing about avoiding sin, look, look, we're going to sin. And we're going to be tempted. And by the way, temptation is not sin. We can be sorely tempted and not sin. But either during, as we face temptation or as after we've sinned, after we've given in and blown it, the first order of business is not to run into the bushes with Adam and hide in the bushes and put on fig leaves. Our first order of business when we're being tempted and, and then if we blow it is to run to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who cleanses us with his blood. And in 1 John 1, 9, it clearly says if we confess our sins to him, he, will, he, will, he is faithful and just. He's justified to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You remember when Jesus was washing Peter's feet and Peter was objecting to it and Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. This is at the Last Supper and, you know, Jesus is, you know, the, the youngest person in the room is supposed to wash everyone's feet and no one's going to stoop to that level. And so Jesus, the master, the savior, the Lord, the rabbi, the one they've been following for three years takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his face, gets a water basin, and starts washing his disciples' feet. He was the last person in the room that should have been washing feet that night. And yet as he stoops before Peter, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And he says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And he says, well, not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then Jesus makes a very interesting comment. He says, anyone who has been washed is clean and he has only he only needs to have his feet washed here's what jesus was saying in that moment let me just translate that for you if you're saved your soul is clean 
You've been, you've been saved by the blood of Jesus. You've been washed clean. But in this world, as we walk through this world, we get our feet dirty. We're not completely unclean. But we do step in dog poopy sometimes when we sin. And we need to get our, our feet washed, cleansed from all unrighteousness, and go on. It's not that we've lost our salvation or we've become just this unrighteous mess. But we need that sin for, you know, just, we just need a fresh start. We just need it cleansed away. We just need our feet washed so we can just walk on. But I will say this. Jesus doesn't give us a shower or wash our feet just so that we can go back and play in the mud. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not good, folks. Man, I, this book convicted me so much. Because Steve Smith says, man, let Jesus examine your life. Let him go into every closet. Let him look at the way you talk. Look at the way you think. Look at the way you act. If there's anything, the writer of Hebrews says, he says as, as he starts out in, 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 in verse 12, he says, lay aside or throw off every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us which so easily entangles you. Sin, it, sin is like running a race with shackles on our legs. We need to throw those things off. And we can do that because Jesus has set us free from sin in dying for us and dying as us. Three things on avoiding sin. The Holy Spirit is at work in you <clears throat> to cleanse you, to heal you, and to sanctify you. And he likes to indwell clean vessels. You will never be fully filled with the Spirit as long as you hold on to the chains of your sin and just continue to, to have an unclean vessel. Just let him clean you. And, and then, number two, cooperate with his work. Cooperate with the work that, that he's doing in you. Run to Jesus when you're being tempted. I'll, I'll tell you, there's a sweet fellowship with the Spirit when we're, when we're walking and not sinning. And when we do blow it, you feel that disruption in your heart. You feel that, you know, I have, I have a friend in an accountability group, and, and he always says that when he's, when he's aware of a sin that he's committed, it's a couple of days before that sweet fellowship seems to resume. How many of you have found that, that to be the case? And you, you, you know you've blown it, and there's a disruption of, of fellowship. I mean, it's not that the Spirit's left us, but, but there's, there's just this in our, there's this thing going on inside. It just, there's a grief that happens. You understand your Spirit and the Holy Spirit are one when you come to Christ. And when you sin, you grieve the Spirit, yours and His, because they're one. And so there's a grief process that takes place when we sin. And we, that, Dennis said it, that sweet fellowship gets disrupted, but it's restored. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that grief goes away fairly quickly, and we're restored. But let's just cooperate with what the Spirit's doing. Lean into his grace, but lean into his work, and I'm going to explain that too. The, the third thing that goes hand-in-hand hand with what I just said is do your part in avoiding sin. Do your part. One of the ways that we do our part, I'm, I'm a part of multiple, multiple layers of accountability. I'm accountable to Dennis. I'm accountable to two guys I've been meeting with for 25 years. Accountability, where we meet weekly and, and, and talk about our lives and talk about our struggles and make sure that we don't just confess to Jesus, but we also confess to one another. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed, James says. We need to be accountable. And I don't want to come week after week after week and say to Dennis or say to my brothers, my accountability brothers, yep, blew it again, did this again. I don't want to do that. And that right there helps me avoid sin. But it also helps me heal from sin and get past it. To hear my brother say, your sins are forgiven, Neil, that's, that's, that's very, that, that, that helps me to, man, when I hear that, I don't want to run out and sin again. I want to say thank you, Jesus, and thank you, brothers. And then stay away from temptation. 
If, if, if there's, let me just say this, like, if you're an alcoholic, don't go to bars and, and liquor stores. Just stay away from those places. We, we can really be stupid sometimes when it comes to, to, to temptation. We can make ourselves vulnerable to temptation. We just need to stay away from it as much as we can. We need to avoid it. Now, don't fight temptation. I just want to, this isn't even in my notes. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says that when we set our will against a temptation, we have just given that temptation that much power. You don't meet temptation head on with a battle of the will. What you do is you say, hey, Jesus, uh, could you handle this for me because I'm being tempted, and if it's up to me, I'm going to blow it. Would you come and deal with this, and I'm just going to get behind you and let you deal with that temptation, and I'm going to move on. One of the things that I've started doing, remember it says uh, in Corinthians, uh, first, I don't remember if it was first or second, I didn't plan to say this, but it says, take every thought captive to Christ. Do you know what I've actually started doing? I learned this from Leanne Payne years ago. Uh, she was a great teacher. She's dead now, but went to a conference uh, with Phil back in the day, uh, in Chicago, and one of the things I learned from her is you can actually close your eyes, and when a thought comes to your mind, you could just take your hand like this and, and act like, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, I don't know why this works. It works for me. Maybe it doesn't work for you, but this works for me. I just take that thought like this, and I drop it in the hands of Jesus, and then I, in my mind, I watch what he does with that thought. I've seen those thoughts burn up in his hand. I've seen him take those things, crumble it up, throw it over his shoulder. I've seen him throw them down, stomp on it. But I tell you, every single time I walk away from that, whatever that thought is, free from that thought. I don't understand how that works, but it does. Jesus is able to keep you from falling. And that's one of the ways that we can do that. And then finally, I just want to say this. The more we fall in love with Jesus the less we tend to sin. Falling in love with Jesus is the antidote to sin. Steve McVeigh in his book, uh, Grace Walk, tells a story. Of, he said, I, I, when I was a kid, man, I was, I was the king of marbles in my neighborhood. Most of you don't even know what marbles are. I think most of you probably lost your marbles at some point. <laughs> Just kidding. I have, I've lost mine. But um, marbles is a game, you know, you have these little marbles and you have a circle of marbles and you, you flick your thumb like this and, and all the marbles that go outside the circle, they're yours to keep. And he said, man, I was the king in my neighborhood. I had a bag of marbles, like huge bag of marbles. And he said, one day I was on my way to practice marbles and I walked past uh, my friend's house and he said, hey, Steve. He's like, my dad just put in a new basketball goal. We need an extra player. Would you be willing to play basketball with us? He said, we played basketball that night, and he said, I never picked up that bag of marbles again. I found a new love. I love basketball. And he said, every Friday night, come rain or shine, we were playing basketball. He said, Friday night was so special because, you know, next day was Saturday. You could sleep in, so we could, we could play. They had, you know, lights on the garage. He said, we could play till midnight. He said, uh, when I was about 16, I went to Sunday school. Played basketball that Friday night, went to Sunday school on that, that next Sunday. And he said, I was sitting there when the new girl walked into the class. And I watched her walk across the room and sit down. He said, I went home that day after Sunday school. And I, he said, Dad, if I could get a date this week, could I borrow the car? He's like, yep. He's like, who is she? He said, new girl in Sunday school class. He goes, awesome. He's like, yeah, you got the keys. If you can get a date, you can have the keys. So he said, next Sunday, he said, I dressed up real well, put a little extra cologne on. He's like, uh, I, um, I waited till after class. Sure enough, she walked in, sat down, waited till after class, walked up. He said, it was the hardest thing I ever did. I made some small talk. And then he said, but I asked her if she was interested in going to a movie and having pizza afterwards. And she said, yes. And I asked her out for Friday night. And he said, the next morning... My buddies were at my door. They're like, where were you last night? 
We waited for an hour for you. We finally had to pick up some other kid that didn't know how to play basketball just so he could have a game. Where were you? He said, boys, I had a date last night. And he said, I never played basketball again on Friday night. He said, three years later, I married that girl. Guys, you see what's happening here? (laughs) He lost his love. No one had to say, don't play marbles. He found something he loved better, basketball. And no one ever said, you have to give up basketball. He found something he liked better with his wife. And that's the way it is with Jesus. As we fall in love, deeper in love with Jesus, we lose our, our love for, for sin. In fact, we don't love sin. We just, we just lose our appetite for it. So, the P word here is pursue. Pursue the leadings and promptings of the Spirit. Pursue the leadings and promptings of the Spirit. Where to, he, he will show you where to go, what to focus on, what to do, what to say. Um, and being led by the Spirit and abiding in Christ are pretty much synonymous terms because when we, we're led by the Spirit, we bear fruit for God. When, we're, when we abide in Christ, we bear fruit for God. You remember... Uh, Dennis talked a couple weeks ago about the, the, uh, John 4 where it's, it's the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And he tells this woman who has come to draw water that he has water that will quench her thirst forever. It's living water. And they have this long conversation, but at the bottom line, he says, the Spirit of God that I will give you will quench your thirst. The Spirit is the water. But when his disciples come back and they have food for him, and he says, I'm really not interested in food right now. They said, Master, did someone give you something to eat? And he said, my food is to do the will of my Father. My food is to do the will of my Father. The Holy Spirit wants us to be both our, our thirst to be satiated and our hunger to be satiated because we're doing the will of the Father. We're filled with the Spirit, and we're doing the will of the Father. I've told this story recently, and I told it in sermon prep, and, and you know, I'm, I'm old, and I, you know how old people tend to tell the same stories over and over again. And, I said, and someone said, you told that story a few weeks ago, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I got to get a new story. And they're like, no. Even Dennis said, no, tell that same story, because it makes the point. So here it goes. If you've heard this before, forgive me. Uh, just chalk it up to me being old, but, but if you haven't, then you're in for, for a new story. So I'm at Walmart, and I'm a hunter. I do not shop. I hunt. Do you know the difference? Hunters pull up to as close to the door as they can get. They already know, like, you know, this is a, our Walmart is a superstore. It's, you know, it's five miles wide, six miles long. Um, you know, the groceries are on this side, and, and all the medicine and all the, you know, the, the tools and the batteries and all the stuff. Are on the, anyway, and the clothes are in the middle. Well, I know exactly. I can tell you within 10 feet of what I want before I get out of the car. I already know where it is. I've already been there in my mind. I'm already in the checkout by the time I get out of the car. I go straight to get what I want. I lay hold of what I want. I head straight to the express checkout, and I'm out of there. 10 minutes max on any given trip. I married a shopper. Oh, oh, look at, I think Lily would look nice in that. Put that up. We didn't come for that. Anyway, you know the difference now. So I, I was on my hunt. I, there was something in the back of the store towards the automotive department. I don't even remember what it was, but I went and got it. I laid hold of that thing, and I had my prize. I was on my way to the checkout. Got through the express. I'm on my way out the door. And this woman walks past me. And I'm not really that dialed into the Lord when I'm on my hunting trips. But the Lord said, I want you to talk to her. And I'm like, Lord, I did that thing. No, Lord. (laughs) No, Lord. That doesn't work. Um, I said, I I have to be back at church in 10 minutes for my meeting with Lynn. We we have a weekly check-in where we go over, you know, 
all kinds of stuff about the church and about the bulletin and about this and that and the other thing. She always wants to know my sermon title two weeks in advance, and I never know it. But anyway, um, I said, Lord, I have a meeting with Lynn in 10 minutes, and he said, Lynn can wait because you're always late anyway. <laughs> I'm usually about five minutes. I told Deb one of the things that she might consider putting on my tombstone is the five-minute late Neil Haney. Okay, um, Pastor Neil Haney. Anyway, so he said, no, I want, I want you to talk to her. So I, I'm really not into this. First of all, I, I'm scared of this. I mean, I'm just like you. Just because I'm a pastor, just because I've been through the School of Kingdom Ministry, doesn't mean that I'm any less of a chicken than you are. And, and we talk about crossing the chicken line where life happens on the other side of the chicken line. And it's really true. But I didn't want to go there. I did not want to cross the chicken line. And she's walking like, I'm going to lose her if I don't turn around pretty fast. He said, I, want, I said, I want you to go talk to her. I'm like, okay. So I turn around just to see her turn down an aisle about six or seven aisles down from where I was. I mean, I was right at the door. Behold, I was at the door. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm walking very slowly <laughs> and dragging my feet as I'm walking down the... And, um, I was like, Lord, if you told me to talk to this person, you're going to have to at least give me something. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what. He said, just ask her about her daughter. I'm like, that's great. I don't even know if she has a daughter. He's like, ask her about her daughter. So I get up to aisle seven, and I look down, and she's in the, uh, the fabric aisle, and she's looking at some fabric, and we're the only ones in the aisle. Thank God. I walked up to her, and uh, I said, ma'am, I said, this... This may sound really strange, but as I, was, as I was leaving just now and you walked past me, I felt like the Lord said I was supposed to talk to you, and he said I was supposed to ask you about your daughter. And she's like, oh. She said, thank you. She said, yes, my, my daughter's just left her husband and her children, and she's living with a man that's not her husband, like she's living with a man. And it's just breaking my heart. I, I brought her up in church, and she's just bra- it's just breaking my heart. And my, my son-in-law is devastated. My kids are, you know, crying their, themselves to sleep. It's just an awful situation. I didn't know any of that. He just said, ask her about her daughter. And so she just pours all this out. And then I heard this little voice inside my head say, tell her that I sent you to tell her everything's going to be okay. I said, well, um, ma'am, I, I mean, I just feel like the Lord's saying that he's going to take care of this. And your daughter's coming back, and everything's going to be okay. And she just starts crying. I said, could I pray for you? And she sticks her hands out. I told a stranger. She wants me to hold her hands and pray. So I took hold of her. This is before COVID and the mask and all that. So I took her hands, and I prayed for her. And I look up, and tears are streaming down her face. And she says, thank you so much. And I turned around and left. And I felt full. I felt satisfied that I had obeyed the Lord and, and done what he'd asked me. I didn't necessarily pursue the leading of the Spirit, the prompting of the Spirit myself, but I did listen when he spoke. Guys, surrender is a key place to start, and we've got to wait on the Lord to know who he is, to know his voice, to understand his character so that we can surrender, so that we can know we've got to get to the quiet places, get to know Jesus so that we can, so that we can uh, avoid sin because we love him so much and begin to pursue the leadings and the promptings of the Spirit. I'm going to tell this last quick story. This is the kind of culture that I want to cultivate in this church. Wes uh, told me a story. This is a three, about three weeks ago. He said, Dad, I was at the Toledo Vineyard. He was, uh, at the time, he was working for Honda. This is several years ago before he left for YWAM and met Lily. He was dating some girl up in Toledo area, and uh, she worked on Sunday. So he had time on his hands on Sunday mornings. And so he, um, uh, he, I told him there was a really good vineyard church there in Toledo. So he, he went to this vineyard church. And he went several times, and this one morning, I mean, he didn't try to get to know anybody because he, he wasn't going to be there, you know, much and long, but he said he was sitting there, and um, this woman uh, in a wheelchair, after the service was over, wheeled over to him, introduced herself, and asked him his name. And he said, my name's Wes, and she said, Wes, I feel like the, 
Lord has a word for you. And, and, and she gave him this powerful word of knowledge and prophetic word kind of combined. She, she didn't know who he was. It was about worship and, and you know, being a leader and whatever, you know, just like kind of confirming the call that was on his life that he was, he was not doing anything with at the time because he was working at Honda and just kind of out there. And it was a powerful word that was just like he said. It was like she read my mail. And then she said, also, the Lord said that you, that you have a, uh, your back is, uh, you have pain in your lower back. He said, I had done something to my back that week at work at Honda, and I was in some severe pain. And the Lord, I didn't say a word of it. She told me I had back pain. And she said, could I pray for you? And he said, yes. And so she went like this, and several people came over, and they surrounded him and, and, and prayed for him. Now, he didn't go up for prayer for the, when, the, when the prayer team came up. Someone looked at him, got a word for him, got actually two words for him, went over, gave him the word, determined that he had lower back pain, prayed for him, got other people to come. They surrounded him. He, prayed. he left that morning with a powerful personal word from the Lord, and his back was healed. He left with no pain. He wasn't even sure if he was going to be able to work that week. He was in so much pain. And he said, Dad, he's like, that's the kind of culture I want at our church. And I said, Wes, that's the kind of culture I want at our church. I want you to surrender to the Lord. I want you to wait on him. I want you to avoid sin so he can fill your vessel. And I want you to pursue the promptings and the, and the leading of the Holy Spirit so that you come to church having sought the Lord and you got a word for somebody. You got a prophetic word. I, this morning, uh, Andrew Garvin came to me and said, I, I felt like the Lord gave me a word for you, Neil. And he, he shared it with me. It's basically what the Lord told me yesterday morning in my quiet time. He just confirmed what the Lord told me. What if we came to church not asking the question, what am I going to get this morning? Is the sermon going to be good? Is the worship going to be good? Am I going to get something out of this? And we came with a concept of, God, who do you want me to speak to this morning? Who do you want me to pray for this morning? Who do you want me to touch? Who do you want me to encourage, uplift? Lord, give me a word. If you do that, I guarantee you that eventually it's going to happen. But you've got to wait. You've got to get to the quiet places waiting on the Lord. I would love for that to start happening here on a regular basis. I would love for this church to be known as a church where people love each other, they get words for each other, they encourage each other, they come not asking what am I going to get, but what can I give this morning and who can I bless? Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.